The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you receive the sins of any, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. On the evening of the resurrection, the disciples were scared. Who could blame them? Their Lord had been crucified. One of their own, only a few days before, had sold out their friend for 30 silver shekels. They probably worried if they could even trust one another. After all, if one of them had betrayed the eleven, maybe there was one among the remaining eleven who might betray the other ten for a couple of bucks. It was the conclusion of the Passover week, so it likely was still a chaotic scene in Jerusalem. People were still leaving the city. And now there are reports that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And the only possible explanation, theft of the body, would have been assumed. That leaves the disciples firmly in the crosshairs of the ruling authorities. Even though they had done nothing wrong, they knew that they could not trust the authorities or expect them to be rational. So they were afraid, huddled together, isolated, you might say, quarantined even, for fear of exposure. And in that moment, Jesus comes to them, and what does he say to them? 
Three times, well, twice the first time and once when Thomas is with them, he says to them, peace be with you. The very thing that they were lacking, given the anxiety of claims of resurrection, a brewing witch hunt, a friend's betrayal, and the gruesome crucifixion of their Lord, was peace. And in that moment of thinking, are we next? Will one of my friends betray me again? Jesus comes to the disciples and he offers them peace. And they could be at peace because they were starting to sense that this betrayal by Judas was somehow redeemed, that their Lord and their friend was somehow still alive. They knew now that the dead could be raised once they saw the wounds in Jesus' hand and side and knew that this was really Christ. And most of all, they came to see the way that the law and the prophets were all pointing to this moment. They would see that Jesus really was God's Son, singularly capable of fulfilling prophecy and granting eternal life. And this scene is then maybe a little familiar to us, no? As they were huddled, isolated, more anxious or even fearful than usual, maybe so too are we. Never before have we been forced into seclusion for fear of what is outside. Never before have we regarded our neighbors with suspicion or uh, for fear of close proximity. I've heard more than a few stories of people encroaching on someone else's six feet of space and being met with dirty looks or rude sayings, the the kind of... uh, encounters no one could have imagined a few months ago. Indeed, I suspect that we will soon face conflict, it's likely already here, among our citizens about the best approach to this present virus. What should we do? Hole up until a vaccine is created, if one ever is? If we go about as normal, and even if we are healthy, are we, in effect, Guilty of killing others by being a vector? What risks are we willing to take in the wake of a contagious disease? And what costs are we willing to bear economically for health? Which value wins out? So there's fear and anxiety on both sides of those questions. If we shut the country down, there's anxiety about the millions who will be unemployed, of possible homelessness, perhaps, or continuing to print money to try to cover the costs. If we don't, we could have another outbreak, overrun hospitals, and see our vulnerable ones die. And in the midst of all that, can Jesus come among us right here and right now and say, peace be with you? And it actually make a difference. Well, of course, my answer to that is yes. Jesus does bring us peace. But how? Well, maybe let's try to understand how the disciples could have had peace 
on that first night. What would that word have meant to them? Well, we should begin by saying that the promise of peace from Jesus would certainly mean more than some kind of superficial understanding of a lack of anxiety or a lack of conflict. The word that Jesus spoke here would surely have been the Hebrew word shalom, which is still to this day the the traditional Hebrew greeting. And it means more than peace, actually. It means that the person is wishing you completeness, wholeness, even prosperity. It's a complete well-wishing of one from one person to another. It's not what we often think of as peace, which is a maybe a temporary time of sort of being chill. The disciples then, and even those who follow Jesus today then, should understand peace in much more than some superficial manner. Obviously, those who follow Jesus then and today experience hardship and maybe persecution and maybe even death. So the peace that Jesus offers has to be the peace of knowing that you are reconciled to the Father and that you promise or possess the promise of everlasting life. You are no longer defined by your sin or your shame or your guilt. That is the peace that Jesus offers to us. But even more than that, I don't think that the early Christians or these disciples would have understood, as we maybe want to do, understood peace as an emotion or an emotional response. When we talk about peace today, we're often thinking about a a feeling of serenity that's achieved when we finally have a, a clear mind or opportunity for reflection, or our worries and our stresses have been taken away. If you Google the word peace, and you look at the images, once you get past the ubiquitous uh, 60s peace sign, you have the the image of the person in the field as the sun is setting, and maybe they're overlooking a cliff, maybe they have their arms outstretched. That's, That's what we think of as peace, A person who has no concerns, who is at one with nature, perhaps. Maybe like after you've been at the spa all day. Oh, I finally have peace now. I don't think that's the biblical understanding of peace. Let me ask it this way. Was Peter at peace with God? Was Paul? Yes, of course. But neither of them strike me as possessors of some zen-like state. Rather, they're passionate and zealous, even provocative. Paul says that he is anxious for those that he can't be with in Corinth and Philippi. And they did not avoid conflict in the name of peace, but they proclaimed the truth at the expense of their own peace of mind. For while the world was hostile to them, they had peace with God because they had believed in God's Son. Look at our first reading from Acts, the first half of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. 
These are words spoken by a person who is at peace with God, but most definitely not at peace with his Hebrew brethren. He says to them that you have crucified the Lord of glory. And so he is seeking then to convert his brethren to follow the true Messiah of Israel so that they could have peace with God, because that is the peace that we need. I honestly then have to say, and I wouldn't be the right person to do this anyway, but I don't know what to tell you to help you have a sense of peace as an emotion if you are particularly anxious during this time. So I just ask myself, what would Peter or Paul might say? In our reading from Peter, he's writing to people who are being persecuted from the faith. Or I think about what Jesus said. We read this gospel lesson regularly. When people ask anxiously, fearfully, of course, about the blood that Pilate mingled at the temple. Or, and then he responds that they should repent. And he says, you will doubtless ask me about a tower that fell in a city called Siloam in which 18 people died. What does Jesus, what should he say about that? He says, repent or you will likewise perish. It's not a message tailored to give people an emotional sense of peace in a time of anxiety. Rather, through repentance, he knows that people will have peace with God, lest the same thing happen to them. Peter, in his epistle, he writes this this morning, In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did they have perfect peace in their setting as they were persecuted? No. But look at all that they did have through trust in Christ. The early church then, I think, also found, church, uh, found peace in boldness. Peace in boldness. Look at the subject of the gospel today, so-called Doubting Thomas. If the legends are true, after he overcame his doubt and worshipped Christ, one of the great worship Christ passages, by the way, in the New Testament, did Jesus understand himself to be God? Yes. How do you know? One way, he received worship. What does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. But what does Thomas do? Well, if the legends are true, he went to India, and he went to spread the gospel there. And the Christians in India today trace their origins back to the preaching of doubting Thomas. Now, would Thomas have had peace during these missionary travels, as we might think of peace? Uh, uh, free from conflict, free from anxiety? No. It wasn't easy. But what he did have still was the peace of knowing that Jesus was the risen Son of God. And so biblically, I think what we see is a kind of maturity, frankly, a kind of maturity that is beyond me at the present moment. But it is a maturity that understands the difference between feeling peaceful 
and being at peace with God because of what Christ has done. But I think if we can understand that difference, we will be closer to a biblical understanding of peace even during troubled times. Maybe then the question is, what does peace through boldness look like during our time? Maybe it will be going to church in spite of dictates against it. Now, I don't think we're there yet, but that time may come. Maybe it's visiting a neighbor. Uh, if, a, if a neighbor can't leave the house, talking through the glass or something. Maybe it's volunteering at a food bank or with CCSC. Maybe it's donating to a worthy cause in spite of being anxious about your own finances. Maybe it's advocating to legislatures that we open up the country again for the sake of those who need hourly employment. Maybe it's beginning a new online ministry because we're probably going to be more glued to the internet now than ever before. Whether that's a good thing or bad thing, I'm not sure. Maybe it's demonstrating to the world that we're not worried about our own well-being to the extent that we're willing to serve others who may be sick. I don't know. I'm trying to throw out possibilities of thinking of ways that we might serve others. But we can only fully have peace when we fully trust Christ. I can guarantee you that Thomas, for example, had no peace in the week between the disciples first seeing Christ and until he could see him. And I know that any time I do not trust Christ fully, I don't have peace. And I know that the same is true for you, because you are made in the image of God, and you want to be fully reconciled to God. So as I said, I can't answer all of these questions for you. I can't even tell you how to have peace exactly, or where exactly to find peace. I can say, or at least I will say, that the biblical witness seems to suggest that those who had peace were those who were first at peace with God and who lived out that peace, perhaps ironically, in boldness. May we be given the spirit that we could do the same. Amen.